just say welcome. Uh, we're so glad you're here, and we pray that tonight. You know, we're kind of a weird group. We like to go crazy during worship and stuff like that. I just pray that despite our craziness, that you would encounter God and that you would uh, feel at home tonight. You know, that's the heart of Chi Alpha is to be a place where, or where people can come, where students can come and, and feel at home and as well encounter God and grow with their friends. Like, that's the heart of our group. So I just pray that tonight that you would just have that experience. God's been stirring my heart for this semester. I believe this. I believe that God is going to surpass anything he's done in the past, like here at UNI, this semester. I believe this is going to be our best semester yet, specifically as Chi Alpha. And over Christmas break, I spent a lot of time praying and preparing for this first sermon series called Upward Falling. I want to throw that up there. This series was put on my heart last summer, and the phrase Upward Falling comes from the song, Touch the Sky by Hillsong United, if you know what that is. So I didn't come up with it myself. It's a pretty cool little phrase, but I didn't come up with it. And, and the song was inspired by the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is the first part of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples on how to live out the kingdom on earth. Jesus says, if you live like this, then you'll be blessed and you'll be more like me. Beatitudes simply means blessing. Okay, so Jesus says, if you live like this, if you're like this kind of person, this kind of picture that I'm painting here, if you live your life like that, then you'll be blessed and you'll be like me, which should be the goal for all of us. And these traits that Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes are traits that are actually very countercultural to what our culture and our country would say are good traits. These behaviors are, are signs that you're a member of a kingdom that's greater than this world. So this is why our series is called Upward Falling. Jesus teaches that as we live our lives less like the world, we deny ourselves, and we lay down our lives for other people, we actually will be more blessed and get closer to him. So as you bow before Jesus and as you humble yourself before his lordship, then you're going to fall upwards. You know, you're bowing, so it's kind of like you're falling, but you're going upwards because you're going towards heaven. You're going closer to Jesus. So that's why we call this upward falling. So let's read the Beatitudes tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go verses 1 to 12. They'll also be up on the screen. So Jesus is just about to kick off his Sermon on the Mount here. And this is the first thing he says. Very famous sermon. So seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, those who, or blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Wait a minute. Blessed are those who are persecuted? That doesn't sound like a blessing to me. But anyways, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others, or when others revile you. That's a good thing, Jesus says, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So blessed are we to suffer for Jesus. Blessed are we to suffer for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus says that's a blessing. 
And finally, rejoice and be glad, for your, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray over this. Jesus, I pray tonight that this would not just be a cute sermon or some cute message, God. I pray that there would be no person in this room that would walk out of here without having heard from your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that if there's any unconfessed sin in this room, I pray that tonight that that sin would be confessed. God, I pray if anyone is living their lives contrary to the way that you want them to live, I pray you would convict them by the Holy Spirit tonight. God, I pray that this would not be lofty words of wisdom, but I pray that this would be a demonstration of your spirit and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So how many of you in here are goal setters, like type A, achiever, personalities, like you're a perfectionist? How many of you? Okay, we got like a few. Cool. So that's what I'm like. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a type A driven person. Anyone who is really involved in Chi Alpha will know that. All the leaders are like, yeah, he's crazy. Like, like 1.30 in the morning, I'm texting John Griffin about small groups. Like, dude, did you meet with that person this week? Type A driven person, okay? So I'm an achiever, or an achiever. You know, on the Strengths Finder test, do you guys take that at all? Does anyone take the Strengths Finder? Okay, I took it twice, and both times, achiever was like my top strength. So this, or so over this winter break, I was like, all right, Lord, three to four weeks, I'm by myself because all the students are gone. I'm going to kick some butt, get some stuff done. Like, I'm just going to be at my computer every day just planning and dreaming for Chi Alpha for the next 10 years. I'm going to have a whole thing planned out. I'm going to get so much done. I was just excited about it. The very first day after you guys leave from finals, I get sick. And it's a cold but I'm a baby, okay? So this put me in bed for a whole week. It was a nasty cold, let me tell you. And I was trying to get better before Christmas, so it makes sense for me to lay down all week. I don't have anything really going on. So I was like, okay, first week, scrapped. Like I wasn't able to do anything for Chi Alpha, okay? So then, by God's grace, I got better on the 23rd, okay? So I had like three days, 23rd, 24th, 25th. Christmas was amazing. I felt better. I get back on the 26th from a long weekend with family and friends uh, celebrating Christmas, and I go to bed, and all of a sudden my stomach starts to hurt like no other. Like, you know when that's coming, you're like, crap, I'm going to puke. And actually, I didn't puke. I prayed to the Lord. I always pray, God, please, I'll take the stomach. Like, I don't really want to puke, though. Please. So for the next couple of days, I had the stomach flu and a fever, and I didn't get anything done the second week either, really. And throughout all of that, I felt like the Lord was trying to teach me something. I felt like he was trying to say, Daniel... Daniel, you can't carry the whole world on your shoulders. I thought he was trying to say to me, Daniel, you think you're really important. You think if you have these weeks, you get a bunch of stuff done, you're just going to kill it for my kingdom. And you are important. I love you. You're my son. But sometimes you need to rest in my presence. Because how many know being a perfectionist is pride? It's pride. It's trying to do things that only God can do. I try to control everything in my world. So God really convicted me of that, and I was able to get better for the last week, praise Jesus, and get my sermon done and all that kind of stuff. But it was a good break for me just to be sick and just, or just rest in God's presence and just say, I can't do anything. So like me, you may struggle with trying to control your world. You may struggle with trying to micromanage every aspect of your life and not trusting in the one who holds it all together. Or maybe you're not like me. Maybe you're really laid back. Okay, something about you and I that I've noticed is a lot of people are laid back, kind of like, what's up, dude? Yeah, I'll get my homework done someday. Like, that's not trying to diss you guys. I was a UNI student, but I feel like there's a lot of guys and girls that are pretty laid back. So maybe you're like that. Maybe you're a pretty laid back person. 
But I don't think any human is immune from the temptation and the allure of pride, even if you're laid back. You know, pride shows itself in different ways. According to Wikipedia, I know, right? Wikipedia? All right. That's so bad for school, but hey, I don't, guys, I'm not turning this into anyone. All right, Wikipedia. Pride is the quality of having an excessively high opinion of oneself and one's importance. And I know that many of us, probably all of us, struggle with pride, unless you're Jesus. We struggle with elevating our importance. We struggle with viewing the world as revolving around us. We view ourselves as better than the person next to us. And we evaluate our holiness, get this, we're often guilty of evaluating our, or evaluating our holiness, not in comparison to God, but in comparison to our friends. As long as I'm doing better than my friend. You know, my friend gets drunk every weekend, but guess what? You know, I only drink like, like once a month. I'm amazing. Or my friend has sex with his girlfriend. But me and my girlfriend, we just kind of screw around a little bit. Seriously. That's some of us. Like we compare ourselves to other people. We say, hey, as long as I'm not as bad as my friends, then God will love me. Or maybe you only look out for yourself. You don't really try to take care of the needs of other people or encourage other people. Instead, you just want people to take care of your needs and encourage you. You know, maybe you come to church just, or just looking for what you can get out of it, but or you don't think, hey, how can I encourage other people? Or maybe you constantly post, come on, this is going to convict some of us. You constantly post on social media about yourself and you want everyone to like it. You're like, wow, 400 likes, that's amazing. Some of you get like 400 likes on your Instagram pictures. I don't get it. Seriously, I try so hard, I get like four. But you guys are amazing. But anyways, you get all these likes on Instagram, but you never like other people's stuff because you don't want to you know, give them too much. Seriously, that's the temptation of some people. It's a temptation to say, I'm going to hold back my like because I don't want them to to think too high of themselves, or I don't want them to think that I think they're great, or someone you have uh, a competitive spirit with. That happens. I tell you, all of us struggle with pride, and Jesus knew it. That's the thing I love about Jesus. He diagnoses the human condition to a T. And that's what the Beatitudes are all about. It's saying, hey, you've been taught to live like this. You've been taught to live prideful. You've been taught to look out for yourself. But I'm telling you that the way of the kingdom is to lay down your life for other people. When I can, or try to control my world and feel the need to just overwork all the time, I'm having an, an excessively high view of myself and my importance in that moment. I need to repent. Guys, we need to repent as a culture, as a people. We need to find a better way, the way of Jesus, the way of upward falling, the way of humbling ourselves before God and before other people. We don't need to push ourselves up. We don't don't need to push ourselves upwards. If we simply bow before the feet of Jesus and lay our lives down for our friends, then we will find joy and we will draw closer to heaven. So tonight's message is entitled, The Poor in Spirit Slash the Meek. I don't know why, but the slash is hip these days, so I put the slash in there, okay? Poor in Spirit Slash the Meek. So we're going to focus on verse 3 and 5. If you're pumped about verse 4, for they shall... Or, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Sorry, we're not doing it. But you can go study or at home, okay? Amen. All right, bless, <laughs> verse 3 and 5. I'm going to read it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the main idea tonight is this. Blessed are those who are humble, both before God and before other people. This is really at the heart of the Beatitudes. 
in the heart behind this series, as we humble and lower ourselves before God and man and lift up God and put others before ourselves, we will be blessed. That is the way to joy. That is the way to life, to count other people as more significant than yourself, to not just be self-centered in the world revolving around you. Hey, how does that make me feel? Am I comfortable with that? No, Jesus went all the way to the cross for us. He calls us to do the same for this world. We prayed for Turkey earlier. Two of mine and Emily's friends, they're a couple, or they're married, they have a family. You know, this last week we were at the World Mission Summit, which is where a bunch of foreign missionaries come together. And Chi Alpha's come together, and they try to cast vision and get uh, students to, or to give their lives for foreign missions. Okay, so, or so two of our friends are missionaries to Turkey. And in the spot that they're in, there's zero Christians. They don't have any family, no friends there. But they're going to give their lives in Turkey because they want to see other people come to know Jesus. That's the way of upward falling. That's the way of laying down our lives for our friends. That is the way to joy. That is the way to life. All right, so the first point tonight is this. Blessed are those who are humble before God, so the poor in spirit. God blesses those who humble themselves before him. Jesus, or Jesus is often quoted as saying that the first will be last and that the last will be first on this earth. If we seek to be first on earth, seeking to gain success and acclaim and fame, then we will actually be last in the kingdom of heaven. But if we humble ourselves before God and we put the things of him first and put ourselves last, then we will be first in his kingdom. That's a glorious place to be, first in his kingdom. Verse 3 again says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are those who, who recognize that they need God's help. If you want just a short sentence that explains it, poor in spirit means that you admit that I need God's help. I know that my good works don't count for anything, and they're filthy rags in comparison to the holiness of God. The poor in spirit, or these people know that, or that without Jesus, they are spiritually bankrupt. These are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So if you haven't gotten to that point in your life where you get poor in spirit and you say, God, you're so holy. I'm so sinful. If you haven't had that moment, then you won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. That has to happen. There's a profound parable that Jesus tells in the gospel of Luke about a Pharisee and a tax collector. So in Jesus' time, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. These were the people who thought they were holier than other people. They were self-righteous. And then the tax collectors, on the other hand, were the lowest of the low in that society. There were people who, get this, they collected taxes from their own people for the Roman Empire, and they got rich off of it. Now, if people did that, we would probably hate them. Like, there's some outside force that's conquered America, and then our own people, our own Americans, are collecting taxes from us to give to that outside force. That's not a very likable person. You didn't want to be a tax collector in Jesus' day. I don't think you want to be one now either. But anyways, Luke chapter 18 Verse, verse 9 through 14, tells this parable. So let's read it quick. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. He said, God, just get this, okay? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. The Pharisee standing by him, I already said that. I fast twice a week. I give 
tithes of all that I get. But then there's the tax collector over here. He's standing far off, and, and he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but instead he beat his breast or his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his, or down to his house uh, justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't want to be humbled by God. That's scary. Think about that. If you try to exalt yourself, God will humble you in one way or the other. So in this passage, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees who had an un- unrealistic sense of their own self-importance. They were prideful and they were confident in their, in their own righteousness, so much so that they treated others poorly. And Jesus points to, or, or, or Jesus seeks to point out this sin by telling this parable of these two people. So in verses 11 and 12, the Pharisee thanks God that he's not like the tax collector. And he points out his own righteous acts. He arrogantly brags. Think about this. This guy is bragging to God about how great he is. There's some of you in this room. I'm going to get real right now. Like you grew up in church, like you've never drank or smoked or whatever, and you think, wow, God, like I really deserve God's love because I'm not like my friends. Some of us are Pharisees in this room. Is that you? Is that you tonight? Comparing yourself to your friends, saying, oh, as long as I'm not as bad as them. Every single person has fallen short of the glory of God, and the tax collector understood that. The tax collector beat his chest before God and said, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. We got to have that moment. We got to have that moment where we just get broken before God and say, I don't deserve to stand in your presence. Like nothing I've ever done is anything compared to your holiness. We got to have that moment. Some of you have attended church your whole life and you think you're good. God doesn't ask for you just to come to church or come to Chi Alpha or pray a prayer before bed. God asks you to lay down your life before him, beat your chest and say, have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. I'll do anything for you. God calls us to have that spirit. Growing up, all my friends thought that I was this great Christian kid, okay? From the time I was five, I was the all-star in children's church. I probably told you this before, but I was just kicking butt for Jesus in children's church, just kicking butt. Everyone was like, this guy is amazing. This guy is so holy. I was six years old, you know, just killing it for Jesus. And my whole life, I grew up, and I remember I'd go to church. I'm not kidding you. I'd go to church, and I would expect old people to come up to me, or come up to me and be like, wow, you're amazing, because they did it every week. That goes to a five-year-old's head. I'm telling you, don't do that to a five-year-old. Every week, dude, you are amazing. Wow, you're going to be an amazing world changer for God. I played drums on the worship team when I was 10. I was absolutely horrible. And every week, they would come up to me and say, wow, you're such an amazing drummer. And my head just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I was thinking, wow, I'm way better than all my friends. I'm way better than them. I thought that. I thought, wow, I'm this great Christian kid. And then... Just around the end of my middle school years, I, I told you this before if you've been here, but, but I became addicted to pornography. How many of you know that if you become addicted to pornography, it's hard to stand before God and be like, wow, I'm amazing. I didn't feel amazing anymore because I had these outward sins now. Before, my sins were just inward, like pride, self-righteousness, but now they're manifesting themselves outward. So pornography, and then I started drinking. I started doing things with girls that I shouldn't have done. And then after my senior year, I still called myself a Christian, but I was living like not like Christ at all. 
but I still felt like, you know, I'm still better than my friends, because all my friends partied with me, and at least I said I was a Christian. At least I went to church. You know, I played drums in the worship team still, like beer on my breath, but I still played drums. That's good, right? In the summer after my senior year, I just, or this is, or there was this night where I took everything, or I took it further than I ever had before. All the, or all these things I or that I had set up for myself and said, hey, if I don't do that, if I don't do this, then I'm good. God will love me. I crossed all those lines. And I got to this point like the tax collector where I just realized how sinful I really was. And the next day I went home and I went into my room and I wept before the Lord. I didn't, or up to that point, I had never wept before the Lord like that. And I got to this point where I felt like I couldn't be forgiven. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I felt like I could never be forgiven now because I thought God only forgave good people, which is the silliest thing. It's really stupid, but anyways, that's what I thought. I stood there, and I just asked God, God, would you ever forgive me? And I didn't hear anything. I asked me, and God, can you please forgive me? And then there was this moment where I felt like Jesus spoke to me, and he said, Daniel, there's nothing that you could ever do to separate yourself from my love. God said that to me, and then I felt like he said, Daniel, you got to go and live differently now. But it took, or it took me getting to that point of being like the tax collector, and some of you are in that point right now. Like either you're still the great Christian kid, but on the inside it's, it's not good. Or you're still faking it. You're coming to Chi Alpha, coming to church, but you're getting drunk every week and whatever. I don't know what it is. And tonight you need to have a reality check. Your righteousness is filthy rags in the hands of the king. I don't care how many times you went to church. I don't care if you're the greatest children's church kid in the world. You knew the Noah's, the Noah Ark story. You love Moses. I don't care. There needs to be a moment. I'm telling you guys, if you went down that path like I did, it's not too late. It's never too late with Jesus or as long as you're breathing. But I ask you tonight, please repent. Please have a moment with Jesus where you repent of your pride. The second thing is this tonight. Blessed are those who are humble before man, or before people. So that's the meek. So the way of Jesus is the way that, that puts God and other people first. The way of Jesus is the way that humbles yourself before God and surrender in obedience, and also, it doesn't stop there, and also, and also lays down your life for other people. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 5, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He says, blessed are the meek, or other translations say the gentle. So Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And the meek are those who do not assert themselves over other people. They don't look to, guys, get this. Do you look to advance your own agenda? Like, are you always looking to push your agenda forward and just run over other people? Like, hey, I want to get to the top. Do you do that? Like, you run other people over, treat people like garbage to get what you want in life? Jesus says, that is not the way of the kingdom. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who lay down their lives for other people. Blessed are people who count others as more significant than themselves. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of other people. Paul recognizes that there's a temptation within every human heart to just be out for yourself and to advance your agenda at the expense of other people who you're hurting. There's a temptation to run other people over. 
and to not operate in this meekness that Jesus calls us to operate in. Paul says that the way to counter this conceit and to counter this selfish ambition is to count others as more significant than yourselves, to lay down your life for other people. Then Paul says in Romans 12, 3, he says this, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, or to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you think of yourself with sober judgment, or do you think of yourself as more highly than you ought to think? There is no room for Jesus' followers to be haughty or prideful. Instead, we're called to be meek. We're called to be gentle before other people. Jesus says, if you do this, you will inherit the earth. So many of you, I just said earlier, I know that uh, just last week we headed down to Houston for the World Mission Summit. I told you a little bit about that. Uh, you know, foreign missionaries, tons of foreign missionaries, crazy stuff, guys. And the speakers were, were mostly missionaries, and they were calling us to give a year. So they're calling students to give a year to foreign missions and pray about a lifetime. That's a bold call. There's 6,000 students there. There was like 1,200 students who came up to the altar and said, I'm going to give a year and pray for a lifetime. Think about that. It was incredible. So this is the conference we're at, and it was amazing. And then on Saturday morning, like I'm telling the crew, I'm like, hey, we're leaving at 6 a.m., because we have a huge drive. And I'm not getting home at 3 in the morning. So we need to leave at 6 to, or be there on time. And we get to our car. Well, actually, the valet gets to our car. And the battery's dead. Okay? Battery's dead. I'm like, great. Thank you, valet. You left the lights on. So it died. That's really nice of you. And then I say, hey, can we get a jump? Well, the guy that has the jumper cables won't get here for an hour. Ooh, I was mad. But you know what? Jesus calls me to be meek. All right? So I was like, I'm going to be meek in this moment. So I, yeah, I don't know how well I did. You can ask Emily. But anyway. Uh, it took an hour, and then we got a jump, and we're heading down the road, and we stop about three hours later for gas, and, and then we get on the highway. We're driving. I'm excited. Like, it's my turn to drive. I'm like, all right, we're going to get there. Let's go. And all of a sudden, or the gas starts to break out. Like, it's not working. I'm like, shoot. And then we pull over to the side of the road. We uh, shut the car off, turn it back on, and it works again. So we keep heading down the road, and then we stop again at another gas station. Same thing happens when we leave that gas station. So every time we would stop, it would do that. And then the third time we stopped, it just completely cut out on us. It wasn't getting anywhere. And we're in this town called Pryor, Oklahoma. There's 9,000 people who live there, and every single person has the strongest accent you could ever think of. It is stereotypical Oklahoma. I'm like, Lord, God, what are you doing right now? I'm a northerner. Just the way I am, okay? I'm not a southerner. And we go into tractor supply. We try to get some wrenches. Me and Drew Meyer, we're trying to fix the car. Neither of us have any clue what we're doing. We don't even know if it's right, what we thought was, or thought was wrong with it, but we're like, hey, we're going to go buy some wrenches. I don't know what we're going to do with those. So we go in there, and Drew spends $30 on wrenches or something. And yeah, what a goober. But anyways, um, and then we ask the cashier if he knows anyone who can fix our car, and, and he just like rumbles, or just kind of mumbles for like five minutes, and we're like, this isn't going anywhere. He has no idea what he's talking about. And then some dude came up to us and like, hey, I can help you. Uh, just go down to AutoZone, and there'll be some people there who can help you. So we went to AutoZone, which was pretty crazy. It was like two stores down. So we go there, and we go in there, and there's this guy named Kiefer. He talks like this. I don't even hear what he's saying. I don't even understand what he's saying. And then there's Stanley, who's like 55 or 60, and he's just the nicest guy you'd ever meet. But both have the strongest accents, and they're like, hey, we know a guy. We know Mike. Or Mike will come and fix it for you. And then Mike shows up two hours later. That was a fun wait. 
And then, uh, and Mike's got these goggles on, okay? He's just like a mad scientist. Like just a crazy dude who's a genius. He comes in, he jumps under the hood, and then Kiefer gets in there too, and they're trying to fix it. And there's about two hours later, they're like, all right, it's fixed. You're good. This is going to be perfect. So we go down to McDonald's, which was two stores down. We're like pumped about this. It's like 8 o'clock at this point. We're like, all right, we're going to get some Mickey D's, which is always good. And then we're going to head back up to Iowa. So we start to pull out of McDonald's. Same thing happens. I'm like, all right, Lord. So I just kind of put it into or to the auto zone again. And Kiefer's sitting in there like, come on. Or so I go in and say, Kiefer, it's uh, broken down again. So Kiefer comes back out. He's trying to fix it. I honestly don't think he knew what he was doing. Dude, I love you. I don't think you ever listened to this. But anyways, Kiefer comes out, doesn't know what he's doing. And then about 30, 40 minutes later, this guy named Mike shows up again. He's got his goggles on. He's like, dude, why didn't you call me? I would have been here in a second. He just drove by or something and saw the van back there. Or so Mike jumps under there. He's like pulling everything apart. About an hour later, it's fixed again, they say. And then, so at this point, it's 9 o'clock. We've been there for seven hours. Jump on the road. We get back to Iowa. Well, the Cedar Falls at 6 a.m. That was a fun night of driving, but I was on a mission because I didn't want to stop again because I didn't want the van to break down like it was. But there's something really profound that those three guys taught me, like even Stanley, the dude that was just there for moral support. Like he wasn't going to help, but he was like, how's it going, man? We just talked a little bit. These three guys taught me what it means to count others as more significant than yourself. And the crazy thing was is, is Mike wouldn't accept any money. Like Kiefer couldn't get paid. He was on the job, but there were or Mike wouldn't accept any money at all. He said, no, keep it, keep it. He wouldn't take it. And he spent a ton of time doing that. And I was like, wow, like, I want to be like Mike. I want to be like these Southern guys. They're pretty cool. Counting others is more significant than themselves. On Saturday night, I don't know if they're followers of Jesus. I know they all go to church because that's what you do in Oklahoma. But anyways, um, these guys followed the way of Jesus Jesus, who counted his life and his comfort as nothing compared to our comfort and security. Jesus said, your comfort and security is more important than mine. So the key to becoming humble is following the way of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 finishes out like this. And, and this is what I want you guys to really get tonight. Get these verses. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, any should bow in, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus sets the bar on humility. Jesus is the paradigm for genuine humility. Jesus didn't fight for supremacy or struggle for his lordship or for authority on this earth. Or, or Jesus didn't seek to advance his own agenda. But instead he humbled himself and put God and us before himself. And although he's always been an equal member of the Trinity with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He came to earth as a baby. That's insane. The king of kings and the Lord of lords being born in a stable. That is insane. The king of kings, God in heaven, was a carpenter. Come on. That's nuts. That's not normal. If you look across the world religions, 
There's no God who humbled himself like that, became a carpenter, and then was obedient all the way to death. And he died the most excruciating and humiliating, or, or humiliating form of death on the cross. That's the worst way to die. That's the most humiliating way to die in Roman or in Rome, which some of you were just there. You see any crosses there? All right. You probably saw some crosses, but not people on crosses. Anyways, Jesus humbled himself to that point. That's what God calls us into. That's what God called all those foreign missionaries to do, to go lay down their lives for other people. God calls us into that. Maybe you're not called to go to Turkey, but you are called to lay down your life for your friends on this campus. You're called to lay down your life for your family. You're called to lay down, or to lay down your life for each other. The worship team could come up. We're going to close out here. So the main idea tonight is this. Blessed are those who are humble before God and man. If you need help living a life of humility, then you need to look no further than to our king. Although Jesus had every claim to rulership and authority over the earth, although he has every right to send each of us to hell, he has that right. Instead, he gave up himself for each of us, for our sins, and he went all the way to the cross. Jesus hung on the cross for each one of us. If we only believe in him, if we only beat our chest, just like the tax collector, and we cry out for forgiveness, he will forgive you. Jesus will save you. Guys, no one's excluded. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what your past is like. You'll just have a moment where you humble yourself before Jesus. He's going to save you. He's going to give you a new heart. He's going to give you a fresh start. I know that there's people in this room with baggage tonight. I'm no fool. I know some of you did not do good things over Christmas break. But Jesus is here tonight. He's just saying, hey, just humble yourself before me. Just beat your chest. Just cry out to me and I'll forgive you. Isn't that amazing? Guys, we need to get this. Our king laid down his life for us and made it possible for each of us to be saved. And we can't, guys, we can't walk away from that not being changed. When you have an encounter with God and, and you understand like the tax collector who did not deserve grace, like when you understand that you don't deserve grace, that you've done so much to separate yourself from God, you can't, guys, you can't walk away from that being the same person as before. You're called to live differently. And you're called to lay down your life for other people. So Christian in this room, if you're a Christian, and you're advancing your own agenda in this world, and you're not counting others as more significant than yourselves, then i got to ask you tonight, have you really met Jesus? Because Jesus laid down his life for you. And if that's in your bones, it's going to change you. And you're going to start laying down your life for your friends. So I'm telling you people, you got to speak up in your classes. you got to speak up in your dorms. you got to start telling people about Jesus. Because that's a form of pride. You don't want to be rejected. You don't want to go up to your friend and share, or share Jesus with them and get rejected. I struggle with that, guys. But Jesus humbled himself for you so, or so you can humble yourself for your friends and share your faith. There's got to be a movement on our campus where people will stop being ashamed of the gospel and start being unashamed, and they start sharing their faith. There's got to be a movement. There are so many stinking Christians on this campus. There's too many people unreached still, though. There's like a 1,000 kids connected into campus ministries, 
That's about what it is every year. And guess what? Those thousand kids all came from church for the most part. And, and every year the campus ministries jockey for position and try to get the church kids to come to their campus ministry. That's the truth. We all try to put out the advertisements, try to get kids to come, and, and we just go after the same net of students, the kids who grew up in a church. But I'm telling you guys, the time is coming on this campus when students who have never heard the name of Jesus, or students who have never encountered God at all, are going to start to be saved. I believe that Saudi Arabian students are going to begin to believe in the gospel. I believe that our gospel works. It says that every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to bow before Jesus. We need to start giving people the opportunity to do that. So knock it off. Stop being so prideful that you won't share your faith with your friends. Stop fearing rejection. Jesus was re- Guys, Jesus was rejected in the worst of ways. He was hung on a tree. Our king, sovereign Lord. Like Jesus was there in the very beginning, but then he had to go on a tree for each of us. And that's the way for each Christ follower to follow in his footsteps. I'm not saying you're going to get killed for your faith, but I am saying you better lay down your pride. That's the heart of upward falling. Guys, as you lay down yourself, you're going to get closer to Jesus. I'm excited. Something's happening in this room right now. I just feel it. Something's happening. Let's count everything as lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord and making him known. Let's go all in. Let's abandon everything that holds us back. Like your past, abandon that. Jesus has forgiven you. Guys, your fears, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'm actually really shy. I get it. I get the fears. I get the fears of sharing your faith, but count that as nothing compared to their surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and making him known. Come on, guys. Something's going to happen. I'm believing it this semester. I'm believing it. If you guys would stand with me, we're going to pray.